Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. In October 2022, a long-awaited piece of legislation, the Employment Permits Bill 2022, was published. This is far-reaching and important impact for employers and the immigration and permit systems here in Ireland. So what's it all about? Well, let's find out. To talk about the topic today, we're delighted to be joined by not one, but two guests and experts uh, from the Lewis Silken Employment, Immigration and Reward Division, Linda Hines and Declan Gork. Thanks for joining us. How are you both? Good. Thanks for having us, Owen. We love talking about uh, immigration matters. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, and yeah, a lot, to, a lot to talk about today. Uh, and as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Insight HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great, thanks, and delighted to have Declan and Linda talk to us about such an important topic. Uh, a lot of HR people are struggling right now to fill positions, and um, I'm sure what you, what you guys are going to tell us today will be uh, welcome information for many. Absolutely, and one that kind of snuck in as well, so hopefully we get some get some good insights out of it. Um, look, so let's jump right in. So I suppose, Linda, I'll come to yourself first. Um, why was the Employment Permits Bill, or why is it being brought in? What were the kind of circumstances that led us towards this update, Linda? Well, so I think probably one point to touch on first for any of our listeners who've maybe been involved in applying for employment permits or had to look at the legislation that relates to employment permits. The current legislation is spread across several different pieces of legislation, so that can make it just harder for employers to try and navigate without, you know, the wonderful professional support of people like myself and Declan. But in terms of the actual bill now that's being brought in, so there was a review carried out in 2018 by the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. Um, sorry, their report was published on in 2018, and that was a review of economic migration policy. So basically, they wanted to look at where the labour market is now, the changes that have happened in the labour market versus, say, when the employment permits legislation was initially put in and whether the system was flexible enough to, to meet the demands of that market. So the report actually concluded that although the employment permit system that's in place at the moment is quite robust and it does provide a framework to supplement skills and labour needs in Ireland, it can actually be quite inflexible in its operation. So that's the that's where the Employment Permits Bill comes in. It's really aimed at consolidating all of that existing legislation and making the existing permit system a bit more responsive as Ireland's labour market keeps evolving. So I think it's kind of a follow on as well. We've seen a clear drive by the department um, to actually make the employment permits process more efficient. So over the last few years, we've seen a lot of steps in that journey in terms of making the actual online application system easier for employers to navigate and Declan would work on applications daily so he's probably seen the most on the ground improvement in terms of the waiting times have gotten shorter and the the system itself 
is actually a little bit easier to navigate. But that's the, the bill is really trying to add to all of that efficiency. Brilliant. And it's great to see it's just, I suppose, kind of transparency and efficiency and everything. Welcome for, for people like us trying to. Yeah, t- things actually being reported and recommended and then actually happening. It's That's it's it. very positive. Absolutely. Yeah. So I suppose, Declan, over to yourself then. So can you talk to us about some of the, I suppose, the kind of key items or maybe just digging a little bit deeper into the actual legislation itself? Any key items that jump out to you, Declan? Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. And uh, thanks for having us again. Um, yeah, I suppose following that 2018 report, um, there is there is and has been an awful lot done by the Department of Enterprise to try and make the system more efficient. And, and really the bill is, as Linda said, is, it's trying to do a little bit more and it's actually building on the change that have already happened over the last three and a, three and a half, four or five years. So under the new bill, they've kind of building on the report again and some of the changes that they're making to the, to the legislation as it, as it stands is that they're going to now consolidate the existing employment permit legislation. And then in addition to that, they're going to I'm just going to read from my notes here because it's actually quite a lengthy list of all the, all the recommendations that they had following that report. They're going to create a new type of employment permit for seasonal employ, uh, seasonal workers. They're going to permit the granting of a contract for service employment permit to subcontractors where it's only allowed to be, gone, uh, be granted to the, the initial contractor in, in the first place. It's also aiming to modernize the existing employment per- permit system by moving a lot of the operational aspects to regulations and taking it out of primary legislation. Um, it's also proposing to revise the labour market's needs test uh, by moving the requirement of having to advertise position within a national newspaper and instead move it to two online platforms. And there has been a couple of changes already made to the labour market's needs test arise from that report, but additional changes need to be made to, leg- made to legislation to, I suppose, advance some of the other changes that have been recommended. And then finally, I suppose, one that's of most interest to me and I think could have the most ramifications is actually the the introduction of a, a salary index as well for employment permit applications. Brilliant, so a lot, a lot in there. And again, as we say, another another welcome welcome update. We're seeing a lot of updates actually generally in, in employment now, so it's fantastic to see even more. Um, so Mary, when it comes to, I suppose, the changes being proposed by this new piece of legislation, Mary, obviously there's going to be benefits for employers, candidates, all that kind of thing. I know we spoke to Gary McCabe, actually, Mary, um, from the Matter Private recently about their kind of international search for talent, difficulties they face, that kind of stuff. Um, I suppose this new legislation, Mary, as we said even before the call, it probably will alleviate some of those difficulties uh, and those faced by similar companies who have to look internationally for for talent and people, Mary, won't it? I think for a lot of HR people and companies hiring managers out there at the moment, um, it's the struggle to fill positions is is a very real issue um, and it is interfering with a lot of uh, organisations being able to achieve their their corporate strategies because they simply can't get the talent. Um, so any positive change to this whole area will have an impact um, in terms of speeding things up because I know so many of our clients, you know, in particular sectors, if you look at medical devices, you know, trying to get people in Ireland is is virtually impossible. So the majority of um, the people that you're hiring are coming from abroad. Um, the same with um, nurses, doctors, um, you know, speech therapists, HGV drivers. The list is endless in terms of the struggle and the sectors that are struggling to fill positions um, at the moment. And that has been ongoing um, for 
quite some time. Uh, throughout my career, I've worked in finance um, and tech in particular when I was working in-house and, and always the challenges were around bringing people internationally uh, into a company and the speed at which you can actually do that. So I, I think these changes are very welcome um, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and, and the impact that it has. 100%. And I suppose when we kind of dig deeper into the, the practicalities, I suppose, um, and this is something I'll ask about yourself, Linda, and, and Declan, but I'll come to yourself, Linda, first, if that's right. So I suppose Declan mentioned there that the bill obviously proposes to modernise the employment permit system, but what kind of practical effects will it have? What are we likely to see? And I suppose, is there any other foreseeable benefits? Yeah, and I think probably what we'll see is we'll see more of the kind of operational aspects of the current system actually moving into regulations rather than being in primary legislation, which will just mean that the system can be a bit more agile in terms of, you know, if there are particular shortages or particular issues that need to be resolved within the system, they can be facilitated easier. I suppose we see that already in terms of how quickly the minister can amend the critical skills occupations list, because that's um, that's done through regulations. And the same with the ineligible list, uh, which are the, the occupations that you cannot get an employment permit for. And then also um, in terms of quotas. So we're seeing how those operational aspects being in regulations can mean it moves very quickly. So it's only going to be positive that more things can be dealt with by um, regulations. I think, Declan, you might comment on like the labour market needs test. That's going to be a big practical implication, isn't it? Yeah, that's going to be a big one. And actually probably feeds back into the question that you asked Mary in relation to, I suppose, what impact is going to have on employers and, and employers who face difficulties with trying to get employment permits quite quickly. And I suppose arising from that report in 2018, there was a, a clear view taken by stakeholders that the way the labour market needs test operates at the minute is quite archaic in the fact that you need to advertise position in the national newspaper for three days or a local website. And it, that's kind of a foregone practical, <laughs> practically that employers just do not exercise. They, they use their own careers portals. They use their own favorite websites. So having to then uh, uh, find out when you go to make an employment permit application that you need to then advertise position in the national newspaper for three days after already going through a, 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 an application procedure and finding a, a favorite candidate, and then only learn that you have to, I suppose, advertise position in the in the national newspaper, it can be quite frustrating for employers who then realize they haven't satisfied the labor market's needs test and then have to go back and go through an application procedure again. But I suppose that's only one of a number of uh, uh, of steps that the department, are, or I suppose that Damon English with this, um, new employment permits bills hoping to use to modernize the system. And another one that I kind of spoke to Linda about, which is quite interesting, and it's kind of dug deep within the bill as it stands, is that there's going to be uh, powers granted to the minister to attach certain conditions to employment permits and specifically general employment permits um, and the seasonal employment permit about the upskilling and training and board and accommodation for uh, the employment permit holder themselves, which is which is interesting because I suppose there is certain conditions that might be attached to, let's say, an intercompany transfer employment permit where you have to specify what board and accommodation has been granted to the employment permit holder, but the same requirements don't stand for a general employment permit holder now at, at the minute. So we're kind of having a bit of a tic-tac about how that might work. 
and whether or not it might be a case of or it might be a case of a, a power that the minister might not exercise at all because in, in a practical effect it might be quite difficult but then i suppose the most interesting aspect of that power is that that power can also extend the minister to grant um or to set conditions against training and upskilling of non-employment permit holders so not only can conditions be set against the employment permit holder but against your existing workforce so your Irish and EEA nationals who do not need an employment permit to work within the state and how that might be exercised. And myself and Linda were having a go to kind of think about this and we're kind of trying to understand how this could work uh, practically. And really, it'd be very difficult for the minister to kind of set any conditions against an employment permit that says you have to upskill and train your existing workforce who do not require employment permits. And it, it is driven by the policy that first and foremost, vacancies should be offered to EEA and Irish nationals. And if you can set conditions against an employment permit, which might upskill those Irish and EEA nationals, then there might be less reliance on the employment permit system. But it's what those conditions and the makeup of those conditions, what way they might be set. And really, it might be just an exercise of, well, an employer might just need to, you know, keep records of what training and upskilling it provided to its Irish and EEA nationals. And then in the case of a workplace relations commission inspector coming into the, into the workplace, they may then view those records to see, well, are you making it? making a, a targeted impact or are you trying to affect some change within your organization to ensure that you don't have such reliance on the employment permit system so that's kind of that'd be a, a really interesting one to keep an eye on going forward and i suppose the, the final one really and one that is what i find most interesting is the indexation of salaries um because effectively what we have at the minute for our employment permit system is just a general threshold so for general employment permit there's a a general threshold of €32,000 per year that you need to satisfy in order to be eligible for an employment permit. And then for other employment permits like the critical skills, we've got higher thresholds and different conditions to set against them. But what Damien English is hoping to do is have automatic salary indexation, which basically means that the department are going to go to the CSO and obtain data from the CSO in relation to average wages that are paid to certain classifications of occupations in the state. And if you, if you think about this in a practical effect, and, you know, in the UK, they use a kind of a, a similar points or a similar salary indexation where they'll have certain salary thresholds for certain occupations, but they also have a general threshold for visas. But it, it's more conducive to a points-based system in the UK where you have mandatory points that you need to satisfy, and then you have certain tradable points that you can get if, one, you're above the, the general threshold, but if you're not above that, you might still be above the, the index threshold of your salary. So... You know, you might be less than the threshold of their general threshold is £25,600 £25, in the UK, but you might have a salary that has a, an index of £21,000. So you might not get your points because you're below the general threshold, but you might still get your points because you're above the index. And I was having to go think about how this might work in Ireland. And I suppose one good example that we could point to is something like uh, the construction sector, which had, a, 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 I think, a list of seven or eight occupations that were previously ineligible for a general employment permit in the past, but now have become eligible for an employment permit. But you might have someone like a roofer or a tiler, or you might have a bricklayer, and they might be working for a small contractor down the road, and they might be only getting paid €26,000 per year. And in those circumstances, he might be a Mongolian national, let's say, and he wouldn't be eligible for an employment permit because he wouldn't breach the general threshold of 32,000 euro per year. But if we index that salary, it might be the case that the average index salary for that occupation, let's say a roofer or a tire, is 25,000 euro per year. And then in that case, if he's getting paid 26,000 euro per year, 
well, then you would be eligible. But then it, it, it then becomes questions like, how do you exercise this? And I think what you might see then, instead of having an eligible occupation list for employment permits, you might start seeing a positive occupations list as a vast list of occupations that which are eligible. They are classified, they're based on the standard, standard occupational uh, classification system. And instead of having an ineligible occupation list, you might just have uh, an, a general threshold for all occupations, but then a different threshold of salary for occupations that actually exist on that list itself. So that's the one that I think everybody should keep an eye on, because I think that's going to have maybe the most impact, actually, out of all these changes. Yeah, and I suppose it's good to see so many connotations and stuff, Linda. Yeah, anything to add? And one of the things that that report, the um, the review that I suppose all of this is coming out of, one of the things it did want to look at is where there were labour shortages, say, in the lower skills end of the market and how those could be addressed. So obviously, you know, you've got the the critical skills is usually in your your tech sector. That's mainly where we would see them. So it's interesting to see how this will play out and will it will it create more opportunities then in, the, in those in those lower skills roles. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose building on one point that made there, Mary, question for yourself. I know that there's there's that element within the policy where it says we continue to prioritize upskilling of our own talent pool as well as maximizing the use of suitable talent in the EU. I think it's a stipulation there. But it's still a welcome development, Mary, to see this area of law, I suppose, being updated, isn't it, in that kind of global workforce kind of space? Absolutely, because so so many uh, organisations are now having to step outside of Ireland and and the uh, European Union to to actually bring in talent. I know certainly I've I've been involved in some you know senior positions uh, or sourcing talent for senior positions in horticulture, for instance, and for love nor money, there's nobody in Ireland and there's very few in the EU and you really are looking um, much further afield for getting certain key roles into an organisation. And the the knock-on impact for um, an Irish business that can't find someone in Europe can't find someone in Ireland uh, and then has to go through a laborious and difficult process to bring somebody in from, um, you know, South Africa or India or wherever somebody might be, Australia, wherever, um, you know, it it can be very challenging and has a a really serious knock-on impact for the business. And also the idea that you could uh, bring in somebody to train, um, you know, get a work permit for somebody to come in and upscale and train your workforce. I can see a a huge benefit from that perspective. Um, Certainly we've been looking with some of our clients in telecommunications, in uh, areas like renewable energies, where again they're having to go further afield in Ireland and and Europe to try and source people and to have somebody with a, a skill set that can you know train apprenticeship apprentices or um, help an organisation develop those apprenticeship programmes um, would make a huge difference uh, I I think as well and an awful lot of our clients are are really looking at creative solutions for growing and building their own talent pipelines in Ireland. And I think that will make a significant difference there too. 100%, definitely. It's interesting you say that, Mary. I wonder, would that be what that when Declan was talking about, you know, the condition 
attaching to a permit that there has to be upskilling and training of the existing non-permit holders will it almost be a condition that the person coming in has to actually start transferring some of those really valuable skills they have it's so interesting as to how it obviously that's what's happening in practice but it's so interesting as to how they would actually kind of enforce that from a department and WRC perspective but maybe it's actually already happening so all the condition is doing is confirming that they have to formally do it. I've, I have already seen some of our clients, you know, look at building specific apprenticeship programs and, you know, through the ETB um, networks. And, you know, again, it's the who's going to train um, people in in key areas where the talent doesn't exist in Ireland and, and uh, the EU. Um, so again, you may be bringing people from much further afield and could have them running those kind of apprenticeship programs and, and upskilling. So I, I really think it, it, that will make a big difference in certain sectors. Um, it'd be interesting to see how it works out. Yeah, I, I just it, it, it's interesting because you're bringing up I'm starting to think more now as we're talking about it. And I, I wonder, kind of counterbalance that, you know, would it be worth the department reviewing their 50% rule as well? Because often for those employers who might be, let's say they might be smaller practices or they might they might have, they, just by happenstance, they might have more non-EA nationals employed than they initially envisaged. And they can't bring in someone from further afield to train their staff to upskill them. And then, because they would be in breach of that 50% rule, i.e., you know, you need to have your workforce as 50% Irish and EEA nationals, otherwise your employment program will be granted. And I wonder then, you know, would the department be open to allowing submissions be made for certain industry-specific employers to have that 50% rule amended for them specifically? Like if you've got, you know, like you said, uh, a, a company or a small business that's in the horticultural sector and they just can't find people within the European Union to service those the, the, the needs that they have are their employee resources. Would they be uh, allowed to make submissions to the department to actually have the fifty percent rule waived for certain specific industry employers? Because you know if you need to have employees in an awful lot of these places, like the kind of service what you need, or else you're going to be losing clients or losing revenue. And you know it probably would make an awful lot of sense if you could, you know, actually amend that fifty percent rule for that for those very, like I suppose, those employers are finding it very difficult to find staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be brilliant. Hundred percent. And I suppose when it comes to, yeah, definitely. And I suppose when it comes to the immigration sector in a wider sense, um, Linda, this kind of area of business and, and policy and stuff. Is there anything else coming up? Any new legislation, Linda? That I suppose employers should be aware of in this kind of space. Well, I think um, so. We're not we're not necessarily expecting anything else in the immigration um, employment permit space. Um, the immigrant investor program was obviously shut down very swiftly um, recently, which was an area we thought might develop, but actually. Um, you know, policy and, and politics around that have shut it down. I think generally it's going to be another big year for employment law developments. So it doesn't look like there's going to be any slowdown in terms of the speed and pace at which employment law is developing. Obviously, employers and HR teams have had a challenging couple of years. Um, unfortunately, we're also seeing a lot of collective redundancy processes happening at the moment. So a lot of change for employers. But in terms of legislation, So we saw um, just before Christmas, the new regulations came in around transparent and predictable working conditions, which I think took a lot of employers and practitioners by by surprise. It was quite 
quietly introduced, um, even though it did make, you know, pretty uh, kind of strong changes to how you ro roll out your contracts and your probation periods and all of that. So that's something employers are still trying to come to grips with. Um, and then also we're expecting to see the legislation around flexible and remote working requests come out later in the year. So I think that will be a major development for employers, you know, who are eagerly watching that. Although I think it's quite interesting, a lot of your remote working requests have probably already been put in on an informal basis or are happening anyway. The legislation might come a little bit too late for, for some um, organisations. Then I think we'll also be seeing um, legislation around work-life balance, around leave for parents and carers and uh, people who need leave for medical care purposes. You know, we'll see things around extending breaks for breastfeeding. We're going to see extension of maternity leave entitlements to transgender men. We're going to see paid leave for victims of domestic violence. It'll be interesting to see how that um, plays out as well in practical terms for employers. So I think there's going to be a lot to come. Also, the pensions auto enrollment system um, is supposed to be kind of ready to go for 2024. So that means there'll have to be some major developments on that in 2023. So lots of things coming down the tracks. And then, of course, we have a lot of proposals at European level as well, which will need to be looked at from the Irish context. So things around further obligations around pay reporting, gender balance initiatives, you know, gender balance on boards, whether there'll be mandates around that, um, and then other proposals that potentially strengthen collective bargaining across Europe, which will be quite an interesting space for Ireland and our traditionally, traditionally voluntary kind of system uh, to see how that will play out. So, yeah, the, unfortunately, there's no rest this year for employers and HR teams 100%. and employment lawyers. Yeah, very true. Bit busy times. And I suppose kind of final question to yourself, Mary, and a familiar one to some of our more loyal listeners, I suppose, when it comes to all these changes, the employment permits, all the stuff that Linda's mentioned there. I suppose, what's the advice then for keeping up to date with it? It's really about reviewing your policies, keeping the air to the ground and much more, Mary, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, where do you get your information? It's it's a real challenge for HR teams everywhere. Um, and, you know, irrespective of the size of your function, it seems that there's just so much happening at such a pace um, that it's really difficult to keep up and update your policies and procedures. And, um, you know, if, if we think about the changes that came in just before the Christmas break, Linda, um, you know, and policies and procedures haven't, which may have been updated already in 2022 and then everybody's got to go and look at them again as soon as they get back off, off that Christmas break and all well and good for those of us who kind of know this stuff is coming um, but for many it's a real shock and you know I'm still talking to people every day of the week who are extending probationary periods beyond the six months without even being aware that there's a change around that and the implications of, of what they're doing, uh, absolute news to them. 
so, you know, I think for a lot of HR people, for a lot of businesses, um, the pace of change is massive um, and people aren't keeping up with it. Um, but I guess it's like everything you learn the hard way and um, it, it's when somebody raises their hand and says, oh, hold on here, you're not entitled to extend my probationary period unless it's in my own interest. Uh, and I don't think this is in my own interest. Uh, and I, ca I can just uh, hear the conversations happening if you don't know uh, what, the change. If you haven't heard about the change, so it's it's interesting, interesting times. Yeah, and hopefully podcasts like these kind of go a, at least a little bit of the way to informing people and settling the confusion, muddy in the water, clearing the muddy waters, that kind of stuff as well. So look, great to get. So, or scaring everyone yeah. in their cars <laughs> <laughs> driving to school. Yeah. Oh no, no, something else I have to think That's about. Yeah. Look, no, it's great to get such insights, particularly on the employment permits thing. It's again, it's something that maybe kind of came in under the radar. So great to get such um, insights, detail on it as well. I'm sure it's something we'll be talking about again in the future. Again, with a lot of those other other updates as well you mentioned, Linda. So look, really appreciate your time, Linda, Declan, Mary. Really appreciate it. Again, very useful stuff, very practical stuff. So thank you. Thank you all for, for joining us. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to please subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels with any questions or fears you might have, as Linda says. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Declan. Thank you, Linda. And thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast. The podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon. <laughs>